it just breaks my heart to think of those children. And I've been to the Kamloops Residential School. I know lots of people who've gone to those schools. Uh, to stand there and, and feel the children crying, um, yeah, it's it's hard. And I can't imagine what it been if it would have been my my parents crying for our their children for us. They loved us so much. Um, I don't know what they would have done. It, it's just it just um, it was really really hard um, to be um, a reserved kid and growing up in poverty and my dad trying to still make a living for his family, trying to hunt, trying to trap. And then all the farmers all around had no trespassing signs. And if you entered their property, even to get a moose or deer, they could shoot you and there would be no consequences. I think it's time that um, the, the white nations get their act together. And, and I don't think it's just me talking. I think it's the earth. I think it's the creator saying it's time. And I think he's probably had enough, you know, with the pandemic and all the things that are going on. It's There's a greater power than the white nations, a much greater power. And I think most people know that. But it's just how do you get out of the system now, right? It's all ingrained. and But there are ways. Mary Fontaine is the executive director of Hummingbird Ministries. She's an ordained minister of the Presbyterian Church in Canada. I'm your host, Matt Bruff, and this is episode 102 of the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. I wanted to invite Mary on to talk a little bit about the ministry that she does, but also um, about her uh, own identity as an Indigenous person in Canada. Um, and can she can give us all kinds of background about that. So I would love to ask just to start um, what land you are on and also what's your uh, ancestral background? Well, I'm on the west coast of British Columbia. I learned from the Sawasan people that this land was shared by all the nations. And I know now there's this official thing about uh, specific names uh, in the particular area that that you live and sometimes I think we don't know that history Uh, in particular we're in the cities we don't know exactly which nation lived where we live I live in the delta area um, and I know that's um, also pretty close to to Austin First Nation Uh, and the um, I think the official way they say it is but in the land of the uh, Squamish Musqueam and Tsleil-Waututh people, um, but I like to include the Swasan people because they also shared the land, and I've done a lot of work with the Swasan people, so um, I acknowledge them too. Yeah. And I'm from uh, the Mistawasis um, Nehiawak, which is in Saskatchewan. It's the um, it's Nehiaw means um, in our language, it's it's the Cree people. It's the Cree person. So we're um, from the land of the, the Cree people in Treaty 6 territory in Saskatchewan. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and I'll maybe let listeners know as well that I'm in Winnipeg, which is uh, Treaty 1 land. And again, it's um, a number of different peoples have shared that shared that land as well. So um, the ones that I'm familiar with are Anishinaabe Cree. Um, there's OG Cree 
uh, Dakota Dene. <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, we, I know at our church, we off, we usually acknowledge that the Métis nation is also, uh, this is this is kind of the homeland of, <laughs> this is the homeland of the Métis nation, is, is how we say it here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we're, uh, we're, we're neighbors when it comes to Manitoba and Saskatchewan and, <laughs> and the Cree people um, uh, spanning across those, those provinces. Um, but yeah, you've been doing your ministry out in British Columbia for... Uh, a number of years now, and I know you started uh, Hummingbird Ministries. Um, and I'd love to just hear a little bit more about that ministry that you founded and have been have been doing and are the executive director of. And uh, somewhere in there, maybe tell us what the inspiration was for calling it Hummingbird. Okay, thank you, Matthew. Um, yes, I when I was studying and doing field education at Vancouver School of Theology, I I went around uh, looking and listening to what the Native ministries were all about in the area, and I was very disappointed, um, having had a, um, a degree in Native Studies at the U of A, I was always looking for a sense of uh, justice and a sense of dignity and integrity for our people, and I found that often um, people or churches or missionaries have uh, talk to us like children. There was no sense of equality or looking at us or thinking of us as uh, human beings or someone that was worthy of respect. Um, I'm not saying all people, but in the in my study, I I learned that this is not what I want to do. I want to do a ministry that is going to respect who we are. That is going to be be. Um, grateful um, to God for, for uh, creating us, uh, for giving us the gifts that he gave us, um, and that we have something to contribute to the church and to the world, that we have these gifts that we can share. Um, and so when I, I was asked, uh, getting close to the end of my uh, studies, I was asked if I wanted to go to these churches. Sometimes there were remote places that were trying to send me. Um, And the thinking behind, I think, was sometimes that I could reach out to the Indigenous people in that area and bring them to church. And I knew that wasn't going to work. But the, the vision for the ministry actually started way before then, while I was studying at U of A in Edmonton because it was an Arapaho elder, or actually a professor at that time, who asked me if I had a native name, and I said no. And he said, well, I'll I'll pray, and I'll I'll pray for you. Anyway, in the end, there was a little ceremony in our Native Ministries, Native Studies um, boardroom, and I accepted the, the name of Hummingbird and the legend that went with it. Um, it was a little more complicated than that, but I, I then began to um, listen to what that would mean. What does it mean to be a hummingbird, and what are the gifts of a hummingbird? I remember calling one of my 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 cousins who follows the native way and asking her, "What does that mean?" And she said, she just laughed at me. And she said, "That's up to you to find out." Um, 
but also I've heard things in the past that um, I didn't really understand. Uh, during one of our, our classes in their Cree class at UVA, this lady brought this recording into um, our class and she says, I was at a Lakota uh, powwow um, last month or last week. And she said, I recorded this song and it sounds Cree to me. And I, I listened to her because she was sitting next to me. And I said, um, yeah, it is Cree. And the teacher came and she listened. She said, oh, it's just a bunch of vowelizing. And I said, no, no, it isn't. It isn't. And and I listened to that song once and I, I got the song and it became an honor song. And there's people that say that once you get a song, you received your calling. And I was very skeptical skeptical about things like that for my culture because I had actually turned against my culture at one time when I followed another evangelical church. And I, um, I you know, I believed that our, our ways were not worthy. I believed that, um, you know, there was only one way and that was the, the European way of knowing, knowing Jesus, of knowing God that way. And um, there's, there's some beautiful way, but I think there's other beautiful ways to to know and accept who Jesus is, depending on which culture you are. So I said, well, you know, this is not, this is, this has to be done our way, or we will not see those, our people in church at all. And maybe it won't be called a church, you know, in our, in the legend of the hummingbird and the crane, it's about a holy house, uh, three boys leave their community and say they will not return until they have people have built a holy house and in in those times um, our people were able to communicate with all of nature um, but they were also able to um, and in the legend there's there's these communications between the people and the crane and the hummingbird and so in a way um, the the song and the story and the the name were all predictors of of what I was to do. And I was all set to go into politics. I was all set to go to Ottawa. And um, I had met an MLA to help me do that. And, and the day I went, uh, there was a tragedy in my family and I couldn't talk about it. And just things just happened that kept pointing me towards Vancouver School of Theology, where one of my professors, a United Church professor, told me that uh, people there, the, the school, uh, acknowledges and accepts and encourages Indigenous teachings along with your studies. After I graduated in 2003, and I tried to um, start a new kind of ministry, um, but I wasn't having much luck at first. So I had to work uh, for the Dean of St. Andrew's Hall for about a year. And um, I, I presented my vision of the ministry to several of our Presbyterian churches. And the women, uh, the Women's Missionary Society, uh, were the most receptive to it. And also the women, the people at the West Point Gray Presbyterian Church were also very receptive to it. But they didn't have the capability in a, in a sense. So in the end, it was the Central Presbyterian Church that decided they would accept my vision. Uh, they would accept my ministry, but it was um, 
as a minister, as, as kind of like a soup kitchen kind of a program of their church. Right. Um, so that's how we started. We started as a program of their church and then eventually became a ministry of the Presbytery of Westminster. Okay. And can you tell us a little bit about the, what what the ministry is today? Like, what is it that the Hummingbird Ministry does, and and who do they connect with? Yeah, I forgot to mention that we started. I started the ministry in two thousand five. Mm-hmm. At the end of two thousand four, I quit my job and and went on a whim. I just totally put my trust in God that something was going to work out because the women that I met in my church were so supportive. Uh, when I gave a presentation of the vision of my ministry at a retreat, they they started chipping into the ministry immediately, and and I knew that this was going to go. That's and amazing. So I, I quit my job in December and didn't know where I was going to get my rent, but I found support through through the church um, initially through some what they call under underages uh, from their budget and. I just started, I kept going from month to month, but actually it was on January or January 25th, 2005, that we had our first uh, Hummingbird Ministries healing circle at the Swasset First Nation. Hmm. And we started there, I worked there very closely with an elder from Tawasin, um, who hosted our, our circles, but it wasn't a vision for just Tawasin, it was also a vision to um, go to where we were needed because I believe that the church is the people and we go where where we're needed and we respond to the needs of the people. We don't just say this is what's good for you, but we say, okay, if we can be of help. So we have a program called Healing Path um, as one of our programs um, where it's designed to listen, for example, at Sawaston. Uh, if someone said, um, you know, if we're having trouble at the band office, and I thought, I wonder if it's something we can um, partially answer through the Myers-Briggs program that we did it. And so I had a professor come. And then there was um, other issues that came up, like um, youth suicide. And I had a professor that I, through UBC, that I knew through VST, who came and did a workshop um, workshop for us on that so healing path is is quite an important one but we also through that do cultural workshops we invite people from different nations in our area uh one come and did um, a drum drum making workshop and also um drumming workshop um to tell us what drumming meant in his in his culture and he was from the from the chehewas area so um, but our other programs, uh, we in listening to the people, we also realized, looking around the circles at Tawasin, that we had adults, elders, children. Um, where were the youth? So the youth weren't there. So one day, the elder and I decided, okay, let's invite the youth for lunch, for dinner, and uh, let's hear what they have to say. Why aren't they coming? And they said, we will come if you teach us how to dance. Okay, what kind of dance? <laughs> and they said, um, powwow dancing. And I, I was quite surprised because powwow, I always associate with prairie people. But they said, no, we want to learn how to powwow dance. So we said, okay, I don't know what the church is going to think about this, but let's see what happens. So I, I, got, I was in touch by then with an elder who has been a powwow mom all her life. 
and um, her son became our teacher. He, he was teaching dancing since he was old enough to stand up and he was still in pampers probably, but um, yeah, he became our um, most consistent dance instructor, but we've had about three others who have taught the children throughout the time. And it seems like every, it, that was a very, very successful, all the, all the children love dancing. They love the power of dance. They, they, they love what it means. Um, I don't know, they, they just love the dance. Yeah, so the arts are very important to our to our culture as well. So this is also a way of uh, reconciliation, so that people are not as afraid of our culture um, for whatever reason that our cultures were denied or not accepted. Maybe part of that was fear. So putting away the fear by by exposing people to our dances and our our uh, stories and our. Uh, our songs. Um, we teach the children how to sing in our um, languages, especially Cree, because that's the one that's most known by the elders in our in our ministry. But we've also we have a Squamish elder who's who's taught them a Christmas song, um, and it's associated with a very important story uh, from his nation uh, at Christmas time. So. Um, so that's um, mostly it, but on the, reconcil the reconciliation side, we do um, events, annual events, like um, the National Indigenous Peoples Day, it used to be called National Aboriginal Day. Um, we started working, we, we work ecumenically. We worked with the Mosaic Church for many, many years and still do. Um, we, they co-host the, um, well, they host now and we, we support them. Initially, we were we worked together to put on the National Indigenous Day celebration, and they featured our children dancing. And they uh, brought together lots and lots of evangelical churches that they know that they're connected with. So we get a lot of people coming out to that event, so a very important one. Um, and then we also have our Peace Through the Arts Festival, where we invite people from different cultures to come and and be part of the show to come and sing their songs, to come and uh, dance, uh, whatever it is that that they want. Storytelling, uh, playing an instrument—it's just a way of bringing people together. And it came about because one day I'm sitting doing circles because I also do circles for churches, and one comment I heard was, "What can we do with those Indians anyway? They just stick to themselves." <laughs> um, and I thought, you know, they never run across them. They don't know, you know, they don't know how to do this because, you know, and I, I think it was just, it wasn't meant to be mean. It was just something that, that just out of ignorance because people don't know, right? They just don't have a clue. Um, they're just so used to, to saying things like that, or I guess, I don't know. Anyway, but I responded by thinking, okay, um, we got to find a way to connect people to our culture and to who we are and to try to impress on people that our cultures are beautiful, our, our spirituality is beautiful. We, we have some beautiful gifts. And I grew up uh, with my culture um, being, we were totally colonized with the Indian agent living on the reserve, um, all that stuff. But we didn't, um, we still had my Mushong who would come over and have our 
have feasts with us. He still did his prayers with sweetgrass and smudge, um, even in spite of the Indian agent and them outlawing our culture. My mom still took us to a, a Sundance when we were kids. And so I'm really, really grateful that we, we had those experiences and that I learned something from that. And I, I learned it was beautiful and still is. It's great to hear about the work that you're doing in Hummingbird Ministries. Um, but also, um, there's just, I, I would say in the last number of months, especially in Canada, um, there's just been a heightened awareness of we still have a long way to go <laughs> with healing and reconciliation, um, that in many ways we're at the beginning. Um, and there's been some work done, Um but uh, but it's been it's been hard to hear and see, uh, you know, stories about uh, um, bodies uh, being found and mass graves being found at residential schools, which, you know, for people who've who read Truth and Reconciliation reports, we, we knew that those reports were there. Um, but but then to see these things being discovered and and uh, and on the news, it's been, I think, very hard. Um, and, uh, and it, but it is raising people's awareness to, to maybe a greater level. Um, but I would love to hear your reflections on, on what you feel, uh, settlers need to, need to hear with respect to indigenous cultures and spirituality. Um, you've mentioned, um, really emphasizing the beauty that is, that is there. Uh, what, what else would you want uh, settlers to know or to understand? I think uh, we, we also have these events called um, Indigenous Wisdom Conferences. We were having those every second year, and we haven't been able to do them recently because we got turned down for funding for the last one I applied for. And then we also, um, you know, and then recently it's been other things. And, it, and last year, of course, it was the pandemic. Um and what we try to do there is do exactly that. Is is um, and one of the elders that spoke at our last one said, uh, "We really uh, a lot of our stories are very biblical." He said, "But they're not necessarily influenced by the church. These are our stories that we that were uh, told in our ancient Nahio language." Um, they're not something that, um, you know, he said immediately because people hear the stories, they'll say, oh, yeah, they're influenced by, by Christianity. Um, but he said, no, these are, he was raised by his um, grandparents, and he knows what they call ancient Cree. Um, so I think a lot of... Um, I think people have to recognize that we have our own knowledge, our own wisdom. Uh, it's not not just something that we get from from the settlers. It's something that we our people always had, and still have, um, in spite of its, you know, being lost to a, a large degree with, among the younger generations. But I think it is coming back. I think people are are being proud of, um, especially younger people, and that's what we try to do at Hummingbird too. Is inspire the youth inspire the children uh to be proud of who they are not to be ashamed um and i think there's been like 
there's a, well, there has been a cultural, like the cultural messaging in the, in the dominant culture has been like one of, you should be ashamed, right? You should hide. Um, I was recently reading uh, David Robinson's book, uh, Black Water, and he um, is an indigenous person in, in Winnipeg and, and, but grew up in a very, uh, you know, he grew up in a, in a, you know, middle-class neighborhood, a, a kind of almost affluent neighborhood in, in Winnipeg. And it was sort of like, you know, don't really, he didn't really know that he was indigenous at first and then kind of learned it that he was, but then learned that it was something to hide, something to, you know, be scared yeah. of, of indigenous persons on the other side of the river or on the other side of the tracks. Right. Yeah. And so it was a fascinating read because that has been the messaging and when that's been told over and over again and been instituted in institutions even, right? Um, mm-hmm. Then it's really hard to to shift that. And it's, you know, the work of people like yourself and others across our country um, who are really starting to try to see some, some of that shifting, um, especially in young people, really. I, it's great to hear, like, that, that people are, are embracing that uh, and embracing their their own culture and and celebrating that themselves. Not, um, I think we I think we need allies who are going to also celebrate alongside. But it's almost more important to have the people themselves embrace their own culture um, and claim it that themselves. Very, yeah, it's very important, um, and I think the worldview is is a very Christian. Uh, the values are very Christian. If we're comparing. Um, it's um, a vision of, of peace among the nations, um, a vision that, um, and, and also the, the main teaching that I got from my Mosho and my grandpa was um, the main purpose of life is to learn how to love. And that means learning to love beyond our own family, beyond our own culture, beyond our own people. Uh, beyond our own country, uh, it just you know we're we're all created equal. We're all we all belong to God. We all belong to the Creator, and there should be no division. And you know, so so being able to uh, that that vision of uh, peace. And I know that there's um, you know many different views and many different religions, but I think. Um, our view, uh, the, what I learned from my culture is that it's, is there's hope, there's hope for peace, there's peace, uh, hope for harmony, and not necessarily unity on all things, but ex- except for unity and love, unity, unity and, um, I don't know, being able to go beyond ourselves, to be able to care for the other people, the other person, and putting others first, um, because that's life. It's 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 love. It's something that will help our planet survive. Uh, like we're we're destroying the earth. We're not we're not embracing the earth. We're not appreciating the earth we've been given. And that's another cardinal sin for our people. How you take care of children. How you take care of the earth. We're all related. We all come from the same breath of life, and we're all related. Um, so like, if we think of um, the trees and uh, the earth as a commodity, that's not thinking in the right way. You're not thinking of it in relationship-wise. It's, 
it's not like I love this tree that was outside my house for 15 years and somehow connected to it. Um, it was there. It was meaningful. Uh, and I don't know why. I don't understand it. But I do know that it was important. And so when I go back to the old house and that house, is, it's flattened right out, including all the plants, everything totaled right out. And it just makes me so sad. Um, I mean, I hope they were replanted. But, you know, with, if you're just out to make money and that's all that matters to you, you don't care. That's all you care about is money and your power. And that's that's horrible, horrible thing. And that's going to destroy our people and, and our planet. Just, we're doing it already. And, and I think it's right in our language as well um, that we have sort of a colonial uh, language that is is set up for us to even just think that way like so we'll have things like oh we have something like a land use agreement or we've and 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 we don't think anything of it um but already we've got the idea that the land is there to be used or um the land is there right the land is there to have something built on it like let's figure out what can we what can we extract from it or what are the reasons right we'll talk about natural resources and it seems like that's benign language but it's not um so i i I think this connects to to what you're saying about um listening to the wisdom that that uh you're bringing your own wisdom right you there's there's wisdom within the indigenous indigenous traditions and it's not there's no wisdom in the european culture there is some beautiful things there too but I think that you also have to include the Indigenous view. If you, if you care about survival, you need to listen to us, is what I say. Um, and I don't mean Indigenous people just in Canada, but all over the world. What's happening in Brazil, what's happening in all over the world, Indigenous people are being put out, and along with the land. I think we way too easily overlook that connection to the land. And we have, I think, when you, when you look at, say, European... Um, settler uh movement that there's it, it you have to go really far back like you there's been such a disconnection from the land or or there's been this idea of dominance over and then that gets carried into dominance over people right um and so we're like how do you undo that it's very challenging you want that land and most people are on there so you got to get rid of them right so right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um this this also just brings up the you know the deep trauma that um that many uh indigenous people are facing um and have faced over generations and now the next generations are dealing with with generational trauma as well um and you know do you have words for for how how to face that or how um how you're helping people um through that, uh, through that trauma that they're facing in their lives, the um, uh, residential school, sixties uh, scoop, day school. I went to day school. Mm. Um, you know, it seems like the children are on the front lines of this war that's still going on, mm. um, and to. To kill our children, it's it's unforgivable. It's because it, children to us are our hope for the future, and, and so it's no wonder that so many of our people turn to 
drugs or alcohol to numb the pain. It's not an excuse, but it's it's just some people just can't do it. And so they turn to that. I think our people are doing okay. Um, I know that some are not, but um, coping, because, you know, we've suffered for like since 17, <laughs> 1700s and even before when the Europeans started coming to this land, we know what it means to suffer. We, we suffered a lot and, and we've gained strength from that. Um, that doesn't mean we're, we're all okay. Uh, doesn't mean that we're, we're not asking for support and help. Um, I think people need to keep on learning. Uh, Canadians need to keep on learning. Churches need to keep on trying to understand. Um, and I think people also have to think about uh, survival and the hope that we might be able to um, come to terms with, well, you know, I know that the Bible says that there'll be the end of the world and that there's a new world. Well, I hope that new world doesn't mean a whole new planet. Maybe it does. I don't know. But, um, or maybe a, a cleansed, cleansed planet, you know, a planet that is going to be totally cleansed, maybe by something we do. Will we have something to do with that? I don't know. Uh, I hope we do. I hope we can learn, learn to love one another. I hope that something can change uh, the direction we've been going, something to change the, um, the reasons behind residential school, the reasons behind day school, the reasons behind Indian agents uh, enforcing uh, even reserves to stop speaking their language, um, things like that. This idea of superiority, it's no good for us. It's no good for humanity. It's no good for settlers. It's no good for those that are oppressed. It's no good for us as human beings. Um, and I think those who our church people know that. Um, and I think other people are too. Uh, many, many young people in Canada, not, not church people, are fighting for, for the land, are fighting for to take care of the land. Um, I've met a few of those young people and they're, 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 white, they're, they're white and they're from, coming from different nations, getting together and seeing a common cause because they want something left behind for their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. Mm. And that's one of the beliefs too, is that we have to leave something. We have to leave this earth livable for future generations. Um, all of those things I think people can think about and, and hopefully agree that we can do something if we work together. This is uh, this is a podcast about spirituality, and um, so I would love to just hear about your own uh, personal spiritual practice, and maybe uh, some of the connections that you might make between spirituality and healing and justice, if you want to bring that in as well. So that's kind of a big question for just a couple of minutes, but uh, but maybe just what are your own personal spiritual practices, and uh, and how do you connect that with with a healing journey? Yeah, um, it's very, um, like, I, I bring the two together for me, for us. Um, um, Jesus and our culture. Um, actually, I, I think that 
he fits into our culture better than than the way European culture in many ways because of the of the uh, uh, the humility um, and also the the lack of materialism because our people are so um, you know like I when I was studying at, at U of A I was doing a paper and came across a quote from a Jesuit priest who said. The devil will never get these people because of materialism, because they have no, they don't care about materialism. He was talking about the Inu people, mm. uh, and things may have changed in in that area for for some, but I think basically when it comes to a decision between uh, loving your your family or um, or taking taking the money, you know, I still think I think the values are still strong within many of our people that they would prefer the relationship. Uh, they would prefer love over um, materialism, over money, not for everybody, but um, I just, oh, it, it's so, um, and, and other things like humility. I, I tell the children, we are um, ministry. Um, I tell them stories of Jesus. And I talk about Jesus as a, as a warrior of heaven and earth. The only warrior that can conquer death. And the boys especially like that idea of a warrior um, that can, um, someone who can conquer death, uh, something that no one on earth has been able to do. Um, and other things like um, our culture, our ancestors are very important. Um, and I know a lot of people say, oh, you worship your ancestors. Well, not in the sense that you think we do. I think we worship our ancestors because we're grateful. Because without our ancestors, we wouldn't be here. Um, and that life has carried on through the generations because of them. Um, and there's um, other ways that, um, that we um, honor God through our culture, our, our songs. Uh, we, we bring in the idea, got the idea of honoring God, the, the song that came to me um, is about, um, we, we thank you, God, and this is why we pray. We thank God for the gift of prayer. We thank God for the gift of song and the gift of dance. These are all very important gifts that the Creator has given us. I had an experience in a longhouse that I will not soon forget. It's um, after a very long day of about 30 people in a healing circle, I was pretty much drained. But an elder had asked me to come to their mass dance. And I thought, oh, I'm so tired. I don't know if I can make it. But I called him and I said, I'm going to be a bit late because he said, no worries, just come when you're done. So when you're ready. So I did. And I couldn't invite anyone because it was by invite only. And some of my friends went to come, so went by myself. And I get there and he greets me, sits me with his family. And then he introduces me to a couple of his friends who were sitting at the top. And they were um, telling me what they knew about it. And it was like, I, I think I arrived there at about 5.30 p.m., and I left there about 4.30 a.m. 
and I don't know what happened. All I know is that I was healed. I, I had no stress whatsoever. I just sort of watched them dance. I watched them, and I didn't understand it. All I knew, it was just a healing ceremony like I'd never seen before. And even though I didn't understand it, I think my spirit understood it. And when I think about it, I still cry because it, it's something you can't put into words. And I think we lose so much because we can get closer to the spirit in certain ways. And, and one of those ways is dance. And, you know, people... I think a lot of a lot of the stuff that's, you know, a lot of the reasons I think that people are scared of our cultures is because they don't understand it. Uh, as um, Madame Curie said, nothing's to be feared, only to be understood. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. Um, and I'm st- I still have lots of fears too. As a Christian, I've, I've learned a lot of things to be afraid of. Um, and so I, um, but I also know that um, there is the one person, the one being, um, one being that can can be there, that can help, that can help us through the gifts that he gave us. Through song, many people through this pandemic and through these fires and through these horrible times are finding healing and comfort through music. Sing a lot, dance a lot, pray a lot. And you can pray by singing, you can pray by dancing. These are great gifts that God has given us. And so like our, um, do a prayer dance, invent your own prayer dance, be creative. We all have gifts. We all have creative gifts. I like writing. So I like, I, I find a lot of healing in writing. And sometimes I don't even know what I'm going to write until I, until I start writing. Um, so they're all, um, yeah, these are some of the ways I think our people are coping If you were going to give a, a a word of advice to not a non-indigenous person who wants to is saying, yeah, I okay, I do want to learn more, and I and I know I haven't done the best job, um, but but I'd like to learn more. What what should I do, or how do I build relationship? How do I how do I get how, how do I understand what what I need to do next? Because I know I know people who are in that situation who are just starting to realize, oh, I haven't I haven't really yeah. worked on this. How do I do this? You know, it's I know it's not easy because it's not something that people are used to doing. Reaching out to the indigenous communities, I think reaching out is the first step, um, and and not giving up um, because. We also have to learn to trust you, right? Our people, um, we don't know what's your, what's, what do you want, you know? Yeah. Um, so, like, um, what's in it for you? Why are you bothering us? Or, you know, you might get that kind of attitude. On the other hand, there are some people that are eager to teach and, and help and just keep looking until you find those people and find those areas. Uh, go to those events. Uh, go to powwows. Go to longhouse events if you're invited um try and connect um and walk with uh don't go uh as if you want to teach or as if you want to give um go with an attitude of um i want to learn from you i want to know i want to understand um because we've already learned from you 
find ways, be creative, think of your own family and your own situation. And that if you were an Indigenous person, what problems would you encounter with your children? Um, and what, uh, you know, be committed to letting your children learn about our culture, not just the adults, but the children need to know. Because if our future generations are going to get better and if they're going to start getting along and, and making peace and caring for one another, it needs to start now. And it needs to start with educating our children. When we did our, our uh, CD, part of my CD talks about my personal story and how our, um, my, my father's father tried to, um, did his best to raise his family to, to be the provider as he always was and the problems he had in doing that. And one of our um, studios, a Ukrainian man that was from Saskatchewan said, I, I come out of that recording studio one day and he's crying. And I said, oh no, what happened? He said, what happened to them? I said, what happened to who? He said, your parents. And I said, oh, well, they were killed in a car accident. And he said, oh, no, your dad, your dad, um, I didn't know. I didn't know. And he just kept crying. He said, I didn't know any of this. He said, I didn't know that. And it's not our fault that people don't know. You know, it's, it's, it's been hidden. This, this thing needs to be exposed. And I think the residential school, the graves, finding the graves is one of those ways of, that the creator is helping us to reveal the truth. Um, so another way, in another studio that finished our CD, it was a young man from, uh, I think from, um, Mennonite background or something. He he also listened to our stories because he was recording them. He was finishing the CD and getting all the sound stuff out of there. He said, how come they didn't teach this in school? Why? He said, I never knew anything about this. He said, why am I just learning now? He said, you know what? I promise you that my kids are going to know this. They're going to know the history of Indigenous people in Canada. And so that's some of the things that that, that can happen. And even in, you know, those who are doctors and nurses who work in the health area, those that stuff they call systemic racism is very real. The same as residential schools and the burying of our children is real. That's, that's the truth. So you can help in so many ways. It's unbelievable. It doesn't have to be in, you know, think beyond what your initial thoughts were and go deeper into the systems. And if you see someone calling somebody down because of their race, speak up or else it'll just continue. There's so many things, so many ways. And and the thing about killing our indigenous people, the police beating up our men, my brothers are beat up lots of times by police. Um, you know, it's just like, it's all in the system. So there's a lot of work to do. Um, yeah, and then the recent killing of, of another Indigenous person. Um, you know, our people are grieving. I got an email about that. It's so much to take, you know, and pray for us that, that we will continue to be strong because um, sometimes all this negativeness along with the pandemic and the fires and the, the bad news we're hearing, and then these personal losses that, that come along, and we always have, we're always losing people. Our mortality rate is very high. So um, there's lots, lots of work, lots of ways to help. Yeah. 
thanks for thanks for going into that in and uh I really appreciate you taking the time today, Mary, to talk with me. And um, it's helpful for me as well to hear uh, directly from you. And um, I just encourage our listeners to continue to learn more as well and just be open to uh, Indigenous voices like yourselves who we can just learn so much from. Uh, So I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. Not everything that Mary and I talked about in our interview was able to be included in this episode, but there is a little more that I did want you to hear. Mary talked with me about the importance of supporting and advocating for children and young people. So here are two different clips from our interview that didn't quite fit anywhere else, but they're really important. The first is Mary telling a story about the consequences of racism in the school system and the importance of advocating for children. The second is Mary reflecting on a story that for her connects to her culture's understanding of the importance of how children are raised. The contrast between these clips is what is most striking to me. One is a beautiful story and how it inspires connection to human life. The other is an illustration of how Indigenous peoples have been treated by the dominant settler culture in Canada. And so, with Mary's words, we will close this episode. Thanks for listening today, and take care. There was a grandmother and a mother who were going to register their children in school, and from across the hallway... The principal says, no Indians allowed here. And um, the, the mother and the grandmother left the school and they had to take the, send their her granddaughter and her daughter to a school by bus to a, a different area where it's like a bad area, a bad school. And they both got into trouble. They called me one time, 4 a.m. They're in the hospital. They'd gotten beaten up by a gang. You know, it just ruined their whole lives. And it's too bad that I didn't know about what had happened at their school. I would went and spoke for them and talked to the principal. Um, but, you know, our people don't need to take that stuff anymore. And I, our people need to know that, you know, it's, it's a public school. It's being paid by the public. It's not a private school. You can take your children there and nobody, no principal or anybody can tell you not to take your children there. There are stories within our own culture, like we have star stories, star people stories. And again, I, I, I met a woman from Treaty 6 while I was going to U of A, and she says, have you ever heard this story? And she said it was about a, 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 an earth woman who met a star man, and she was spoken for by the chief's son, and she was supposed to marry him. But... One day she decided to um, um, take her sister to this place where she met the star man. And she points up to this tree and she said, this is where I meet the star man and I'm, I'm going to marry him. So the sister goes with her and, and she, show, she said, tomorrow I leave. I'm going with the star man and I'm going to, to the heavens with him. And they go to heaven they go she leaves with him they have a child and one day she's working in her garden and she pulls this huge turnip out of the 
of the, her garden. And through the hole, she sees this, her people, and her heart goes out to them. And she wants her son to know his relatives. She wants her son to know them. They want, she wants them to know him. So she asked the creator, can I bring my son to the earth to meet his relatives? And the creator said, no. Three times he said no. And then finally he says, yes. So she brings him to the earth and she's very, very particular to follow the rules of how to take care of children. And the creator had told her, you must never let the earth touch him. And you must always have him on a blanket. He must never touch the earth until he's a certain age. So they put had a blanket and her mother and her sisters tell her, go away, you know, you worry too much. Maybe not in those words, but you go fetch some water and uh, from the creek or the river and come back and we'll look after your baby. But when she comes back, her baby is going back up to heaven and she grieves greatly. And the story stopped there and I've never been able to find out what's the rest of the story. Um, I asked many people, cultural people, and but there are, what I did learn is there are a lot of star stories, people, um, people, I mean, stories about star people in our culture. Um, but out of that, I also created a play at Hummingbird Ministries that's called um, The Star Man's Promise. And it was, of course, related. I, I connected it to the, uh, the Star Blanket teachings and also to the, um, the way that the teachings of, of raising children. And it, because one of the Star Point's teachings is about uh, taking care of children, about the four stages of human life. 